Hey everyone, we're going to get to this episode of Peak Show with guest host Justin J. Case in just a moment. Before that, I wanted to shout out the Trans Education Network of Texas, or TENT. They're currently accepting donations to help continue their work uh, with gender diverse adults and kids in Texas. They're currently raising funds on GoFundMe, so if you are in a position or feel so inclined, make a donation to them or the aid organization of your choice. And remember, it costs nothing to be a kind person. Welcome to Peak Show, coming to you live from a rural Pennsylvania conservation district. I am your host, sole survivor of a train wreck, Brie Rohde, and who do I have on the line with me today? <laughs> That's, you, you'd think you'd be off doing something way more important than a podcast, being the sole survivor of a, of a train wreck. Uh, my, hello, my name is Justin Case. Um, <clears throat> I'm neither alive nor dead. I'm, I'm, I'm flying through the never at you at 128 megabytes a second. Yes, and we're so happy to have you on the show, Justin. Uh, you are, I think, officially the first friend of a friend of the podcast. Um, mm-hmm. Listeners will know last week we had the wonderful Steven Sadak from We Hate Movies on the show. And Justin, you've been a, a host on on their show many, many times. You've guested on some of my favorite episodes of that podcast. Well, uh, even uh, one that helps out a little bit is that... Uh, uh, Dude, I want to call it the mist, but I think it's the happening. Yeah, the happening. The happening. That yeah, one. yeah, um, yeah. And um, you know, they call you the disaster movie expert, which is great because my one of my favorite episodes of We Hate Movies is the volcano episode, which you were on. Um, the you said the word velociraptors in that episode, and it forever affected the way I say the word velociraptors. So that's the impact. <laughs> We've never met, and you've had such an impact on my life. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I guess I, I guess it's something, something from New York left left over in me that, <laughs> that brought out the, the I guess the the Velociraptors. Velociraptors. So yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I don't know why I was talking about Velociraptors in the podcast no about LA, but that's I fine. I have no idea. So yeah. You, you know, you're from New York, hanging with those New York guys, talking about an L.A. movie. But today we are here to talk about someone from Pennsylvania. I dropped the hint in my last episode saying that we're talking about the only person who has ever made me like James McAvoy. We are talking about the very polarizing Manaj Neliatu Shyamalan, better known as M. Night Shyamalan. You guys said you wanted us to do more writers and directors, so that's what we're doing. Um... This guy's been up and down the scale in terms of ratings, box office. I feel like we're sort of evening out or maybe in a stage where we're starting to recognize him as like this, you know, camp icon almost. So I want to talk about the peaks and valleys um, and, you know, whether or not he's even come into his own as a filmmaker, how he's going to be remembered. So before we dive into his history, I want to learn a little bit about your history with M. Night and his movies. So, you know, when did you first get into him? What was your, your journey, for lack of better words? My my journey to M Light was that I had just um, had reached sort of a a a period where I was obsessed with Hitchcock, and right in the middle of that period comes Sixth Sense, and I remember being 
however old I was, uh, I, sometime in high school. I'm not trying to hide my age. I'll tell you how old I am, but I'm just <laughs> bad with I'm just bad with ages and years. Yeah. Um, but I was like, oh my god, we have another. The next Hitchcock has arrived. Oh no. And, <laughs> Yeah. And not for nothing, but the studios thought the same way, you know, like Sixth Sense hit that hard. And, you know, Unbreakable was like just as good. And I was like, hey, this is it. And I was watching them and I really felt like he had these tenants of of, uh, somebody who was going to make 25 good movies like he 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 he's sort of like a new relationship that you get in that you are way too excited about. (laughs) And it's kind of a turnoff. Like I was too excited about him, and and then and then and then things went differently than I expected with his films. You know, um, we were we were talking off mic about you know Ari Aster's movies in Midsummer and stuff. I am so worried that he's going to be the person that happens to with me. That like this is the person I'm so invested in, and it's all going to go wrong. I hope not. I don't know anybody else, even even like. Oliver Stone, I think, sort of, he has, he, 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 he's got some valleys, but man, like, I've always, for the most part, like, seen something that was original in his movies, um, each one, uh, same with Coppola, but I don't know. I mean, I mean, that's not, this is very true, because I, I think that what, what happened was that he, he came down to a single conceit, like, old is like you're old now yeah. oh wow what else is happening oh absolutely nothing else is happening yes you're just old now <laughs> and i'm just gonna i'm gonna harvest this concept like like no matter what like i'm gonna use every single piece of the movie <laughs> like and um i don't know i just i feel like his his um he he stopped making movies and started just filming concepts ideas yeah 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 like singular ideas so yeah you know on the topic of age i am a little bit younger i was born in 89 so i am 32 and on that note though man like i you know just being 32 and like just getting into home ownership and just thinking like i barely trust myself with my little nephews and so i when i sit back and i think how young m night Shyamalan was when he was making his really good movies like you know 28 29 i was such an idiot when i was 28 and 29 oh, that's true. You know? like he was i i think we didn't think of it as being so young because you know when even when we're teenagers we think oh yeah like in 12 years i could do something like that or whatever like i could see my or you could see your contemporaries doing something like that like that is kind of a little little wonderkind thing going on. Um, I wasn't aware of his age at the time, but I look back. I mean, like, either yeah. yeah, he's he's a he's a handsome man, and I'm just like, oh, he looks like not particularly old. Like he has not been to that beach. Um, so he's, no, no, <laughs> uh, no. He's I, the one that dropped him off. <laughs> anyway, he, yeah. God, he can't help himself. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I. He certainly can't. I, I was telling this story on uh, last week's episode that I um, I grew up in a town with one theater that had a single screen. We didn't get anything when it was supposed to come out um, because everything was always like a month behind. It only stayed for a week. Um, it had to be like a real event for it to actually come out day and date of the release date. Um, the si- so by the time The Sixth Sense came to our theater, 
it was already out on VHS. Um, it was like an kind of end of summer <laughs> release. And it's like, well, we could go to the movie theater and pay this or like, you know, my parents didn't monitor or care about what we watched. And so it's like, well, if we rent this and bring it home, our 10 year old can watch it, which is what they did with, oh, with good. young Brie, um, young unmonitored mm-hmm. Brie. Um, and um, there had been a lot of buzz for it. You know, I'd seen the commercials um, and they, you know, they let me watch it with them. I remember it had been marketed as a horror movie. And it really, as I was watching, I'm like, oh, this doesn't actually seem like a horror movie because I knew up to that point the slashers as horror movies. Um, mm. Yes, I was a 10-year-old who loved slashers, so I have a lot of problems. Um, but with the twist at the end, I remember feeling so, like, genuinely moved by Bruce Willis's final scene with his wife, which is crazy because at the time I had no experience with grief. I watched that again shortly after I had, um, as an adult, lost a friend and I was like, oh my God, like this is so powerful. So I was already getting into film at that age, around 10 years old. I loved the movie, decided I want to see anything this guy put out after that. Signs came out in middle school. I wasn't like as into it as I was um, Sixth Sense. I just don't think, and I don't think that has anything to do with the quality of the movie. I think it's just not the most like 12 year old friendly movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a lot about family and grief and stuff that I couldn't relate to. I saw the village in theaters with a boy that I thought was cute. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I don't think I can even go back and retroactively reinvent that movie as an okay movie. I feel like people are trying to now. And uh, they, you, you just can't. I, I don't understand what back, they're trying to. If you go back to that movie, do you realize how many times they mention like there'll be like there's a million dollars. Mm-hmm. I'm, this is my tangent. They mention millions, mm-hmm. and then and I was like, there's no millions in the 1400s. Nobody has yeah. a million of anything. Like yeah. people don't even have like a million, like, like, like how much, like I'm a rice seller. I have, how much rice do you have? You're like less than a million. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. Like nobody had a million of anything in the 1400s. Justin, um, I think that is I, a Mitch Hedberg joke. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, oh, um, oh yeah. No, no, his is, um, uh, Rice is good when you want when you want something like fifty thousand of something or yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love Mitch Hedberg. Let's let's it would be it would be too easy to make this a Mitch Hedberg podcast on far the fly too for easy. Me, so. Yes, <laughs> far too easy. But yeah, like the village, um, like I don't I don't get why people are trying to like retroactively defend that movie. That's a I you know what and you, you like you catch me mid retroactively defending it like i was like i mean like all right signs unbreakable um it does look there's there's definitely some really lush um and really a ple- pleasing um visuals while it's normal or why it's while it's a movie but i don't think that there was really a concept there i think that it was just like a I don't know. That movie just felt like somebody was just lying to you. Like if anybody's ever told a story in the first person that you know was about somebody else, like that's what I feel like that movie yep. was when you were just like, no, 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 none of this is happening. I yep. just like, you know, anyway. Yeah. Um, and uh, of course, this was also, I think, the beginning of the M. Night Shyamalan twist endings jokes. Um so I did not see Lady in the Water or the Happening in theaters. Um, and I kind of was smugly like, yeah, I'm not, no one likes you anymore. 
Um, I think this was around the time Robot Chicken did the sketch with him doing the what a twist jokes. Um, <laughs> uh, so I kind of got back into him because um, I had never been into any sort of comic superhero movies. I was a really pretentious asshole as a teenager, just like superhero movies are dumb. Action movies are dumb. Uh, you did not. Right, right. No one wanted to be my friend. Um, but when I was in university, there was a blockbuster down the road that, you know, because it was 2008, it was going out of business. And so I bought Unbreakable for, I think, a dollar. Um, and I watched it with a friend on like kind of one of those doing my laundry afternoons. And I just mm-hmm. fell in love with it. And um I think aside from Die Hard, I had never liked Bruce Willis. Like, he was always one of those actors who kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But I was like, wow, this is the second time that I've seen Bruce Willis, like, M. Night Shyamalan kind of make him into a really compelling actor. I I think he's Mm -hmm. amazing in that movie. So um, I think what I realized after was, like, I liked M. Night a lot more when he wasn't trying to be a prestige director. Um, I saw now I know Devil is not actually an M. Night Shyamalan written or directed movie, but it's like his idea. I saw that and the last airbender adaptation with my roommates. Um, they were Wait, is devil where the, there's a devil in an elevator. And that's yeah, <laughs> that's, that's literally it. It's like you said, one conceit. That's it. It's a very, yeah. what if there was a devil movie? in the elevator? Well, <laughs> well, what about it? <laughs> and what if it well, like, who is it? It's this person. That's, uh, that's it. I mean, there is a bit of world building to it. Like it's, it's not a terrible movie. It is not, but, um, I, it was, yeah, that and the last airbender airbender were very much like, it's okay. So I thought about giving after earth a try, but again, like that's still really not my genre. And then the reviews were terrible. Like 2013, I was just working as an editor. So I had, you know, at any given time, maybe $40 to my name. So I'm like, I, I can't right, blow right. this on this weird like battlefield it's... earth uh, redux. Like, Yeah, with, with like a small cast. Like, yeah, it wasn't, it just, I, I, I saw after earth after I watched airbender years later, because I just had no interest in either of them, mm-hmm. but I ended up seeing them and it kind of made Airbender feel a little bit better, but it does. I know people like uh, my sister is a huge last Airbender fan. Yeah. Not of the movie because she's never seen the movie. She just knows how, and the cartoon is so good. It is. And, uh, and it's, it's this, it's one of the weirdest, like she was like, I should just watch it. It can't be that bad. But, but I think it's bad enough that it like makes you feel bad. That everybody had to show up and <laughs> jump. And um, it also got a lot of people sick, didn't it? I hadn't they heard had, about that, but it, you're you're probably they not did, wrong. Because they did a bunch of they did a bunch of really cheap after um, after post production 3D and it was like oh. it was so poorly done they didn't like test it enough and it made a lot of people sick, which I think is great. Now that theater exhibition is um, becoming, you know, so fraught, um, I'm, you know, it's not something I ever want to see die. I would never relish in that. But I'm really glad that we're not trying to do that, like, movies that aren't shot in 3D, but we're going to try really hard to release them in 3D by adding this, like, post-production 3D effect. It's, 
it's so shitty. Um, I probably didn't it's see. Just... I probably didn't see the 3D version because, again, I had no money to my name until roughly like 2015. But because, um, like, but yeah, the Avatar: Last Airbender series. Um, like, I'm not a person who's into anime, um, and it's the kind of thing that transcends that. Like, you don't have to be into anime to. So, like, you know, my roommate Jim was like, "Why don't you watch the first season before we go see this in theaters?" And it was it was awesome. And so I was like. This is really cool. I like that M. Night's doing something different. And it was a fucking snooze. Yeah, what a it's it it was it was I don't know to to put like a an overarching my overarching gut tells me that he knows something about somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Because or like he's just like I, I don't know I, I have to I have to come clean I don't like I don't like any of his movies I like I mean I like the big three uh-huh. but like I don't think that would you like you were like he comes back and some of this is okay I don't know he just seems like this thing that he must he signed a twenty five year deal or twenty five picture deal and they just they got to give him something every couple of years I don't know why like like you kind of I, can't get rid like, of him. Like, you know that meme where Mo is tossing Barney Gumbel out of the bar and he comes back? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. And to be fair, like, I don't think he's come back and will ever be as good as he was um, with The Sixth Sense. Like, there's lightning in a bottle you can't recapture. I just think it's more like I I view him very differently now and I have this kind of, like, um, you know, like... (sighs) My parents used to have this really ugly half Shih Tzu, half Terrier named Tess, and she died a couple of years ago, and she was the ugliest dog in the world and very, very stupid. But oh my God, like in the later years of her life, I'm just like, I have such an affection for you. Like this dog was at my wedding. Like, and that's kind of how I feel about M. Night Shyamalan's movies right now. It's like, I know you're not, I know you're not good, but I have this affection for you. And it was... For me, and like the kind of where it came full circle was when The Visit came around, which I actually wasn't aware of as an M. Night Shyamalan movie. I was aware of it because I'm a huge fan of Katherine Hahn. And when I heard that she was in this, you know, thriller kind of thing, I was like, oh, this sounds cool. I I hate found footage films. Um, I think I still do. But um, it took me of like it was very difficult for me to find a theater in Toronto that was showing it, but I was I was super into that movie, and so by the time Old came out, I was ready to tolerate him again. So like it was, I wouldn't say a full circle, but it was a real like you know you're back in the club of acceptable guys for me. I I was okay. I had a, a similar uh, experience watching Old. Where I was watching, um, uh, it's going along, and the main protagonist says something about like, "How did you even find this place?" And the other protagonist, the his, the wife character, goes, "Oh, it was through a, through a sweepstakes in the newspaper." And I was like, "What era is this guy writing about? What do you mean a sweepstakes?" <laughs> and that's the thing is that I just feel like um, I need. I need my filmmakers to be really in touch with reality yes. so that they can take a step away. And every time they take a step away, that's storytelling. Mm-hmm. Right. And he just doesn't quite like, he just expected us all to be like, Oh, okay. And I, and, and I, 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 I can't, um, I'm trying to think of like another example of like, what do you like? No, not Woody Allen. Like, um, 
I guess, but I don't want to talk about him. So no, I'm going to no, pretend yes. I didn't say that. <laughs> um, I just don't feel like talking about Woody Allen. But like anytime those like, oh, I know, I know, I know what a good a good example is. It's like when they made Rent. They really made Rent the movie. And Spike Lee took one look at the apartment that, you know, they were going to shoot in. And he goes, no, like, I'm not making a rent where everybody has a big apartment. And they're like, no, yes. it's okay. You know, like friends, everybody has got these big apartments. And I just feel like... Um, a production team and a creative team has to understand and has to start from a place where we all understand so that it can step away and write interesting fiction. And I don't think that, I think that if he made, you know, his, he made a story about a tenement, a, a tenement house, you know, in New York city, it would be like overlooking the, the empire state building or yes. something just like, so just like, no, that's not true. Well, because M. Night Shyamalan, like, I think, you know, what I would say is, like, I, so I am a wannabe writer as well, like, when I'm not writing for my day job. I love writing fiction, and I'm one of those people, and I think there's a lot of writers that this, we get a little too swept up in the world building. And it is very much a thing to get too swept up in the world building, but then there are writers who are the opposite, that they do not care about world building, and they become situation builders. And I think that's kind of what he did, like he puts all this attention into these tiny little like minuscule things, but he forgets to actually like, you know, whether it's giving some pathology to the characters or grounding this in the reality or explain if, if your thing is not grounded in, in the reality, explain to me how this world is unique. Explain to me what the quirks yeah. of this world are. Um, well said, so, yeah. Yeah. So a, a little bit about the man, uh, Manoj, which, um, also, I will say I don't have a lot of knowledge of Indian names. So is it, it's Manoj, Manoj, someone, you know, wants to yell at me, go for it. Um, <laughs> he was born in Pondicherry, India and emigrated to the U.S. with his family as a wee baby. He was raised in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Go figure. Um, and despite being raised uh, Hindu, he was educated at both Catholic and Episcopal schools, which I think has to be the explanation for how there's so much Catholicism in his movies. Like everyone yeah. in his movie yeah. is Catholic. It's weird. Um, so yeah, he was considered an outsider at his schools for being of different faith and being, it would appear somewhat of a big nerd, um, which I think is adorable. I love nerdy little kids. Um, he <laughs> had an interest in making movies from a young age and was accepted into NYU in 1988 as a film student. Um, I've never seen these first two films of his praying with anger and wide awake. They're, they're really hard to find. Like, um, I, I, I tracked down the second one the the one with rosie O'Donnell. O'Donnell. <laughs> yeah yeah i i tracked down the second one in the height uh, the height of my m night love mm -hmm. just to see like i don't know what i was looking for like it's not like there were like rosie o'donnell was gonna like end up being made of sand or something i don't know <laughs> like what, whatever his twist ending was gonna be but it's just like a totally normal movie yeah well because that's the thing is like the beginning of his career like the runway to his career was him doing like the writer for hire thing you know he did the ghostwriting yeah. on she's all that I fucking love that. He co-wrote Stuart true. Little, which um, I, I want to emphasize. Stuart Little was not a good movie, even like a, a family movie. I that that was a terrible movie. Um, uh, that he pitched the script for Sixth Sense to former Walt Disney Studios exec Dave Vogel. I love this little Wikipedia anecdote. Vogel loved it and ordered it without approval, which resulted in him leaving the studio. So uh, they sold the distribution rights to Spyglass Entertainment. 
But it turned out to be obviously a big box office boon. Gross uh, worldwide of $672.8 million and nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, Best Editing, Best Supporting Actress, Best Supporting Actor. Um, and I will say, M. Night's not the only one who kind of fell off a cliff after that because, like, Haley Joel Osment, like, that poor kid. Like, he... Now, not to turn this into a Haley Joel Osment peak show podcast, but I kind of feel like the little kid from Room is going to be the same way because he's done already since Room a lot of very like treacly, um, you know, cutesy projects after that. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. this is a Haley Joel Osment in the making. Haley Joel Osment did two things in his life. He was in this movie and then he was on that episode of What We Do in the Shadows. <laughs> To me, I don't know any. I couldn't tell you. I I have a I have a hard time saying they were like, oh, Haley Joe Osmond, right? I was like, I don't know. The two things I saw him in were good. Like I don't know what else. You know, if we're also what else he was up to. You mentioned Woody Allen. If we're also talking about complete monsters, he was in that. I can't remember the name of it at all, but that really bad like family movie where Kevin Spacey plays a burn survivor. Um, and oh, pay it forward. Pay it forward. Yeah, I had to watch it that forward. It like on a day in middle school when my teachers did not feel like teaching. They just huddled all the seventh graders into the gym and played, put pay it forward on. Uh, this is how you get English uh, majors, by the way. You just have the kids watch movies so all day. I, I'm interested to find out. Um, none of these teachers watched it to the end, huh? The, oh, I mean, we did see a child get stabbed in front of us, if that's a true Yeah, that's pretty yeah. cool. But yeah, that's <laughs> pretty, I mean, what did you do at school today? Like, classic, like, nothing. And then, in, like, one day you're like, well. <laughs> I mean, in high school, I did see a person get stabbed in front of me on school ground. So that was a whole thing. I, I grew up in oh, a really rough see. area. So, oh, um, but yeah, so M. Night. He followed it up with the very well-received Unbreakable and Signs. Although I think Unbreakable, from what I gather, it wasn't as well received. Like, it was kind of received very lukewarm at the time of its release. And I think, like, it's after the nerds got to it that we realized how awesome it is. It, that's actually true. That's actually exactly true to my experience as mm-hmm. well. I think Unbreakable is actually a movie that is best experienced after the fact, right? Oh, yeah. Like everything is there and it just leaves you with like it doesn't it doesn't wow you that movie is not a wow movie no but it's 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 a really you really appreciate the craft that went into it after afterwards i think yeah and i think that everybody had that kind of experience of like oh okay and then you're like whoa i saw a superhero movie that didn't you know that didn't shove a whole lot of um, exposition unnecessarily down my throat, or it's just the way that this, the way that it was presented was a very finely crafted film, mm-hmm. but not like a, you know, you were expecting more of a twist or something like that, I guess. And it's not quippy um, because like, I think that's what we largely um, associate superhero movies with now because we are deeply entrenched in the Marvel verse um we we do think of superhero movies even like good ones like the Raimi Spider-Mans as being these very quippy everyone's a little bit clever everyone is a little bit likable um and that is one of the movies where i think he does actually really succeed at decent world building because we kind of come to understand by halfway through the film like this is a supernatural universe but it's kind of our universe like there it's just what if the real world were exactly as it is but there are superheroes walking among us and it's really intentional i think it's really really well done 
Yeah, I think that his best best writing because I gave this I gave this a lot of thought. Um, his best bit of writing is when you know the kid says to him, "Oh, you lifted all this weight at the gym," and then Bruce Willis says something like, "There's guys that can lift more than me," and that's true. Like yeah. that's what I think is really. And then the kid says something like, "You, which you could have lifted more." Yeah. Um, it's it was a perfect way to lay like this idea of like he's he's he has superhuman strength, but is he the strongest human being on the planet Earth? Maybe not. That. Now that's a superhero movie, yeah. like a guy who is incredibly strong, but still, you know, there's a couple guys can beat him up, you yeah. know, <laughs> that's compelling. That's what I liked about it is that there was some, there was, um, it wasn't a perfect, it wasn't a, a, a perfect, he didn't become Superman. He became like pretty Superman. Yeah. <laughs> so um, then came the village, which I think, I think the village, the best way I would describe it is it's a turning point for him because it was his first poorly received film and not even, it was not even universally panned. Like, I mean, it got some Razzie nominations. I I put no stock in the Razzies. Um, but like, no one said this is the worst film that came out all year. They're just like, oh, wow, this this isn't as good as his previous movies. Um, but it was still really high grossing. Um, but yeah, I think that was kind of when people realized he is... He is not the David Dunn of movies. He he is he is not impervious to failure. Um, but that said, a quartet of what I would say was his bottom of the barrel because you got Lady in the Water. I'm sorry, Paul Giamatti. I love him. He is not a leading man at all. No, like, no, he's the, he's the, and they they the, he the, not only they 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 try to. I mean, I think that he could he can lead a narrative the right he can lead the right narrative but then they they there's there's moments where he they need him to be too many things like doesn't he play he plays the the handyman the superintendent yeah the super right and like they're just like hey paul giamatti maybe you could be sexy for a minute and i'm like i don't think so well because that was post sideways and so we were trying to like get on the paul giamatti train and like paul giamatti again i think he's a really talented actor but i think he's such a specific guy and on one hand i do like that m night you know some he'll he does go for the ugly guys a little bit. You know, he goes for the everyman types. Like he doesn't off, you don't see him cast like the, you know, Hollywood pretty guys, but it's more that Giamatti, I think has this very low energy nature about him. He has that kind of, and he's playing someone whose, you know, whole family got murdered or whatever. And so he's very eerie in that movie and it just doesn't, he can't carry a, a fantasy plot. Paul Giamatti in a live action your film. Oh my god. Oh bother. <laughs> oh what I love every second of that. Like and these these are the, the <laughs> I love it. Yeah, he just he'd be a delight. And you know, I mean I think it's a testament to the film itself when you when you say he plays a guy whose whole family was killed or whatever. Right? He's just he's just like, Hi, I'm um, I'm auditioning for Grief Stricken Male number one. <laughs> but Grief Stricken like, Male is like a lot of his leads. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's got a uh, like it was like, what did you lose in this film, Paul? Like, ah, my house. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I was I was talking about Shyamalan. Like a lot of his characters have like, oh, so like this person's whole family died, this person's wife died, and there are trappings of listen, you could take the guy out of NYU film school, but you can't take the school <laughs> out of the guy. There are trappings of some of the most 
clear like i need to uh raise like the stake the stakes the stake raising i should say and his movies are so hand fist like mm-hmm. you can tell too like he's just being like we've been on this beach you're like maybe somebody should be angry about something yeah like but like what is just so like um I don't know. I feel like there's. I feel like he he does too much hand hand of God, yeah. right? Like you can just see him pushing the pieces of the of his characters around, mm-hmm. and he's not letting. He doesn't let his he doesn't let his characters find their own paths. Yep. You know. Yeah. Wherein that is to say, in most of his films. Yeah, I would say that. Um, but yeah, like so, Lady in the Water, The Happening, which like. People saying, oh, The Happening was meant to be a B-movie. It certainly wasn't marketed that way. I remember the way this was marketed. Because this was after, like, you had 2012 and the kind of, like, modern disaster movie uh, returning. And so The Happening, what a fucking bummer. That movie was on Xanax. Like, that, that movie was a snooze. It's sort of my favorite idea for a movie he's ever had. Yes, it is. <laughs> yep, it's going right. That movie definitely 100% awakened me to be like, and here he comes. <laughs> because I just thought the idea was so funny and so like um not compelling, but I almost want to say compelling. The idea that 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 like like the human spirit one day just breaks. Yeah. <laughs> we all just look around and off ourselves (laughs) there is this um really like so when i used to be an entertainment reporter i specialized in um the original streaming space um which is like back in kind of 2015 2016 when streaming was still considered a little bit like separate from um traditional entertainment and one of the failed streamers in Canada was from a service called Show Me, and they partnered with Netflix to make this original, like, dark drama, but kind of, like, teen-targeted, called Between. Um, and the only reason the press release even stuck out to me was because a friend of mine from high school was in it. Um, and when I read the plot, I'm like, well, this just kind of sounds like the happening, but stupider. And it was that there was this like weird ap- epidemic that was causing people to drop dead, but it was only affecting people over the age of 22. And <laughs> which is like the weirdest cutoff. And it was them like trying to explain it and like trying to like save all the children and stuff. And I'm just like, first of all, this is like the most like weird kind of, but like weird kind of conceit to make sure that there's no one ugly in your series because if you're above you know 22 you're just like you're useless you are no longer pretty but that's um, it go home eugene levy no no (laughs) go home you can't be in my movie you're over 22 eugene levy not your weirdo son either um but no um i did remember um reading that and thinking why does this feel like an m night like an m night Shyamalan series and i'm like because it's kind of an even stupider version of the happening. Yeah, what is this movie called? Between was it, it like a, a TV it's a, show? It was a series, and it was on the streamer Show Me. Um, oh, here it is. Yeah, there was like an ex Disney Channel star in it, um, and yes, the uh, the actor Jim Watson, who is now on some medical drama, uh, he and I used to be in plays together. So I used to be a somebody, oh. or I used to be somebody adjacent. Oh. That's all you need. Don't people always want to rise up, you know, make their mark, go out, change the world. I just say be near somebody who's doing that. 
Yeah. That's yeah, that's easier. So- <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Oh dear. So, um, yeah. So M Night, he, I think it was after Earth that really torched his reputation, and even he had said like, "Oh yeah, 2013 was a real rough time for me." I'm sure his accent doesn't sound nearly as Canadian as I just made him sound, but um, no. So he could not secure the fi- financing for the visit, and he ended up self-financing and shooting it in secret, which like. I would love to be a Hollywood failure and to just be able to finance whatever fucking project I wanted. Like, oh, no one wants to work with me? Oh, that's fine. I'm a zillionaire. The Yeah, I mean, he got $5 million for for what? For just writing signs, right? Yeah. Like, you know, he... Yeah. But although I have to say that, like, if you shoot something... I mean, everything I've ever made, and, you know, like, I've never made anything, like, you know, I've only worked on one feature, but... um. It's all been in secret because nobody knows about it because nobody cares about it yet. Like, what do you mean he filmed it in secret? We're like, was like Weinstein at his door and he was like, nothing going on in here. Like, <laughs> was he like really like covering it up? Yeah. Or I don't. I I just I'm I'm perplexed by the word secret. I know it's it's not a secret. You have a whole cast and crew. Again, and I, like I brag a lot about being an entertainment reporter, which I was like, I mean, and then I was entertainment adjacent after that. But like being an entertainment reporter and you know doing a half a dozen obnoxious LA events like makes me so cool. Um, but it, I feel when I read stuff like that, I'm like, that's press release jargon. That's stuff that they will put in the press releases and bring to the markets to kind of beef up the mythology of the movie. Um, oh, they all fucking okay. do that. Yeah. 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 So, okay. There you go. Yeah. But um, I mean, a little, little, little inside Hollywood there. I like that. Oh yeah. Inside a shitty office in Toronto, you know, waiting until 11 a.m. to call people because time zone differences. Um, but yeah, he, um, I mean, it worked in terms of ROI because he, you know, spent $5 million on it, grossed $93 million at the worldwide box office. That's pretty good. Um, and for then the, Wait, for the, the visit? Right? I was shocked when I read that. I was shocked. Which one is the visit? I thought visit was the TV show. No, the visit is the one with Catherine Hahn and the two teenagers, the found footage saffons, and the crazy grandparents. Oh, 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 crazy grandparents movie. Okay, yeah, all yeah. right, all right, all right. I'm the sorry. I'm the sorry. shed full of adult diapers movie. Um, so, <laughs> but yes, he did serve as an EP. Um, and ep- <laughs> sorry. He did serve as an EP uh, and an episode director for Wayward Pines, which um, the first season did receive strong ratings and reviews, although the internet incessantly compared it to Twin Peaks. I've seen a few episodes of Wayward Pines. I I suppose I get why people compare it to Twin Peaks, but it reminds me of that whole, like, you know, guy who's only seen Twin Peaks, like, getting real Twin Peaks vibes from this. Like, it's not every mystery show is a Twin Peaks wannabe. Yeah, true. Well said. Yes. Um, So then in 2017, his most successful movie in almost two decades with Split. um, I'm ashamed to say that I was introduced to Split because of the Tumblr discourse on it, because of the way it portrays mental illness. Probably would have sold it better if we'd known that it was supposed to be this, you know, superhero movie off the bat. But of course, you know, that's that's giving away your stealth sequel. That was the one N. Mike Shyamalan ending where I actually like got really excited at the end because I'm like, wow, that's a great ending. Um, stealth sequels do not always work. 
this one really worked for me. <laughs> Wait, you uh, glass? Are you talking about? No, split glass was. Oof. I I, okay. I almost slept through glass, but split. I loved. Um, and like oh, I said, okay. I don't like James McAvoy. He's another one of those actors that I find people really try to make him into a leading man. And I don't think he can handle leading oh, I roles. See. I think he is better at those really character-y kind of oddball things. I loved him in Split. Okay. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. I, I don't know. I, 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 think that, I think that I loved him in Split as well. Yeah. Right? I think that... A movie where James McAvoy just looks at me for two hours is bothersome. Yes. Like, and it's the same thing with Glass, and that's why I just couldn't, like, just it, just that one, it's, it's just so much of that one shot of him performing. Yeah. Um, Did the little, that, rap, yeah. Or hip hop pants. Yeah, he, he does a little hip hop dance. I don't know. <laughs> we could, we, I, I feel like I'm not. I'm just going to be very honest. I'm not in any position to spearhead a discourse of uh, its respectfulness to the mental health issues yeah. that he, it sort of flimsily um, borrows from. Yeah. But I would just say that my problems with those movies is that they're just way too much, especially split uh, is way too much um single camera action like I'm, that's just not mm -hmm. what i'm here for yeah. and by here i mean watching a film <laughs> like <laughs> i think that split and glass are such weirdly different movies um and, and i think glass is probably one of the worst like it's not even his most absurdly bad movie, I think, but it is one of the most disappointing movies that I've ever seen. I think the pacing of it is all wrong. I think the art direction of it is terrible. Um, and I think it's so weird because this is a good cast. Like you've got Samuel Jackson. Oh, yeah. You've like, again, Bruce Willis as David Dunn is one of my favorite characters ever. Um, I think the movie could have used more Anya Taylor-Joy. Um, I think actually she was probably the strongest part of Split. Um, I am a noted Anya Taylor-Joy stan. Um, as an avid chess player, she has had my heart in her hand for the last two years for her role in The Queen's Gambit, but I think she is a super, super strong lead. Um, and so she really carries Split, but Split actually has tension. Split has um, a sense of build. Nothing, nothing in glass. That's true. Yeah. That's very true. How much of Glass um, just takes place in a fucking parking lot? Uh, most of it. I don't know <laughs> if they ever leave. I think that um, I got, okay, truth time. Yeah. I couldn't make it through Glass. Okay. <laughs> so when 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 Samuel L. Jackson is, breaks out of his cell for the second time easily, and then he's doing, he's popping wheelies just because he has extra time. That was my breaking point. I just wanted to, <laughs> listen, uh, I had nobody else to tell that to, <laughs> but I had to tell somebody <laughs> that when he was popping wheelies, a man with a degenerative bone disease is putting his, literally his life in his own hands by like having fun in his wheelchair. Um, that was it. Also, none of it worked up until that point, no. and I just, I, I've, I'm, uh, I like to dedicate myself to my work. I like to throw myself into these films. I listen. I rented After Earth. That's something that I did. 
mm. in 2022. <laughs> they must have. I must have like somebody. I must have woke somebody up at Google. Like they're like, he, <laughs> oh, they're like sir, the impossible has happened. If- <laughs> like quick, put it in. We never loaded it. Um, <laughs> but uh, Glass was just like, um, there is. Have you have you seen? Um, this is our my first I'm gonna use I'm gonna use my first major tangent card, please. Yes! This is my piece of paper. Here, here's a tangent. Have you ever seen the riff tracks that they did for Batman and Robin? Not that one, no. Okay. So they keep they 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 realize this thing that uh Schumacher, right? That's Joel Schumacher. Yes, it is. Okay. They realize that they kind of always start on when they're, when they're filming Uma Thurman, she always has like an extra two seconds where she's not doing anything. And that's just, it, you would never ever notice it unless you were just like such a, like a sharp movie observer. And they keep making this joke where they go, um, Miss Thurman, we're rolling. <laughs> and then she'll start talking. And you realize that there's always two seconds of her just being poison Ivy <laughs> before she says anything. She'll just be poison Ivy and then be like, so gentlemen right that kind of thing and they pick up on that and there's so much there's so much that movie could be 12 minutes long if they didn't just like let like there's so much of him just being like all right even even and i agree with you bruce willis is difficult because bruce willis i know is he's a difficult person to work with and that's yeah. sort of like I, i'm i'm not i'm i'm one of those people that i'm like well oh, if he's a jerk i don't want to watch him like that's just who i am right like, he I is also know. really good at playing jerks which it adds a like that's his that's when he's best i find is when he's playing a jerk it's kind of fun oh, too, yeah, knowing definitely. that he's a real jerk that's a very good point but even with him they're just they'll just be like pushing in and then he'll be like uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, please somebody say something. Somebody please say something. Be like, you know what I was thinking, Jim? And you're like, I would I was wondering that actually uh done. Forgot his first name. But uh I don't know. It, it was what what I, I, I tried to do a lot of work is to find out why glass got under my skin. Um, and why I just couldn't really handle it because I haven't turned a movie off. I haven't turned a movie off since uh, Ace Bigelow. That was the last movie I turned off. <laughs> like I'll just watch these terrible movies no matter what. But there was just so much wasted time. I don't. That's 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 what got under my skin. Anyway. So it's interesting because one of the things I have in my notes is that like there's this commonly accepted discourse that I've never fully agreed with, which is that M Night Shyamalan is a good director. He's just a bad writer. And that he doesn't write dialogue very well and whatever. Um, I actually think Glass exposes that he is not always a good director. Um, And in fact, more often is a fairly inept director because I think Glass, like, and again, I thought Split was fairly well directed because Split has, um, it makes good use of its actors. It has a decent amount of tension. It has a decent amount of build. There's, um, you know, shots that kind of carry you from scene to scene. And Glass has none of that. And, you know, you, you mentioned being really into Hitchcock when you were young and kind of like his earlier films likening you to Hitchcock. And and I can't imagine anything more disappointing than seeing that like The Sixth Sense was the first mo- major movie this guy put out and then seeing something like Glass, no suspense, no, um, like no sense, nothing keeping you in it, nothing that makes you care. 
at low stakes. The the lowest, uh, yeah, because um, it, it's 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 he, oh, man, glass. I, he he takes he takes three people with with what we'll call our superpowers, and then he, and then within the first fifteen minutes, there's like, okay, now is everybody in their room where they can't use their superpowers? Good. <laughs> yeah. Well. I don't know if that's now. I'm no Hollywood. No, no, I don't mean to speak out of turn. I'm no Hollywood bigwig here. But if they were like, "All right, Superman, you saved that one person. Now get in this kryptonite room for the next hour and forty five minutes." Yeah, I don't know if I'm as as as, as interested in that film. Yeah, um, actually, coming back to Split, I've got to ask: What do you think is the better movie set in an underground zoo, Split or Saw Six? Uh, Split. Okay, we've we have had a saw episode on on this, and I think I feel like Split came up in that as well, possibly for different reasons. Although I have to I have to admit though, when they mentioned they mentioned that he, that he was in a zoo, uh, in glass, mm-hmm. and I remember being like, wait, he was in a what? <laughs> Like, I didn't remember that from Split whatsoever. Well, the zoo reveal is, like, at the very end that you come out, like, that's when you see, like, oh, that's where he was keeping them in the enclosures at the Philadelphia Zoo. Because God God help, we can't leave Philadelphia. You know, M. Night has to have a cameo and everything, and we have to be in Philadelphia at the very least. And I'm 100% serious with this. Get gritty in your movies. If you're going to consistently set it in Philadelphia... Get a Philadelphia flyer and or gritty in your movies. Get yeah, make a movie about what it's like. Oh man, like Zamboni people that are running a drug racket and they're putting people under the ice and there's dead people. <laughs> oh, that'd be great! Imagine a hockey opens up with a hockey game. Everybody's gonna go, like, oh! and then the, and then the, the goalie goes to pick down, pick up the puck, and there's a dead body under the ice. And that. <laughs> Now we're talking. Also, shame on me because I I said last week, get through one episode without talking about hockey, Brie. Get through one episode. I did notice that. I did did notice that. Fuck me. No way. way. So, yeah. One thing, though, that I wanted to address now that we're out of the chronology, um, as people have kind of come around to retroactively defend or kind of reinvent M. Night Shyamalan, people have pointed out, you know, like there that he's been on maybe the receiving end of harsher criticism than he actually deserves and pointing out probably correctly that people have like kind of made a meme out of his name and calling him like Shyamalama Ding Dong and all that. Super racist. I completely agree with that. The really racist and is really a problem. Disgusting. However, I like I, I've got this quote from The Guardian in 2008. Kim Newman argued that Shyamalan is hammered more than more for his apparent character and in her words, funny name than she names Quentin Tarantino or Spike Lee, basically saying these guys are just as inconsistent about as directors and he gets more shit. And I will say, yes, it feels like he gets a lot of criticism. I also don't know if it's fair to say that those directors haven't also dealt with a lot of criticism, like particularly Tarantino. I feel like I maybe this wasn't the case in 2008, but like a lot of people decided that they hated Once Upon a Hall. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, for essentially no reason other than Tarantino is a creepy white guy foot fetishy weirdo. I mean, listen, like, let's talk about hockey. If you put me in a hockey team, right, I'm going to do poorly forever, and I don't, I expect that I will always be criticized. I don't know if, like, I, I, I do not think, I think that 
even mentioning his name in in the same sense as, as Spike Lee or Quentin Tarantino is sort of tethering him to a buoyancy in which he shouldn't he doesn't deserve, right? Yeah. Like he just <laughs> I don't think so. Because um, even with his everybody- even with his good movies, like I'm sorry, yeah. Sixth Sense and Unbreakable and Signs were great, but you're really comparing that to the guy who did Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown and like, yeah, unlikely, yeah. And 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 that being said, Spike Lee is a perfect example. I'll watch any Spike Lee movie any day of the week. I don't really care. I've never seen a Spike Lee movie that I I turned off not being like, well, <laughs> okay, like you know, you you made a film, you know, and and his his films, I think they often leave you with. His films, I think, are really good examples of films that you really experience after the movie is over. Yep. And even and there's never been a movie that he's made that I didn't at least be like, okay, I'm feeling something here or mm-hmm. there. Tarantino, I mean, the guy, I've, I think that, well, I don't know, we're not going to talk about Tarantino, but um, I, I don't, I don't think that a guy who thinks that it's okay to write about sweepstakes in newspapers in 2020. <laughs> is he's just not and that's the thing like i think that to really dissect into tarantino or i'm sorry as m night as a person Mm -hmm. there's like a a a somewhat famous like um interview or conversation with um with clint eastwood and how he was like how how he starts a movie and he just writes down he writes down everything that has to be done and then he just crosses the things out that he doesn't think that he can do like, cause you know, he, sometimes he does the, does, does the music. Right. Mm-hmm. So he'll have, a, he'll have a project and he'll actually like cross himself off as director saying this one is, I just want to do the acting, mm-hmm. but I think I can do the music. This one, I think that music would be something I'd be suited for, for this film. The problem is, is that not, he's not crossing anything off. Yep. He's doing everything he does. He can't write. He can't write adults. He can't re he can't, he can't write people that are really in tragedy. He cannot write a woman with a dead child he can't write a woman with agency Uh, actually i don't think he writes women with any agency at all like it's i mean and he's far from the first male screenwriter that can't write women but um it's really weird because he he barely has female leads and almost none of them have any agency no i think that's probably what made of all the things that gave split some vibrancy yes yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean and and you get you get an actress like Anya Taylor-Joy who I think is really good at that. Like she can I mean again not to go off on a tangent about something else. Like I was rewatching The Queen's Gambit recently because I was actually trying to analyze the games in it and I was like The Queen's Gambit actually shouldn't work. It's not actually that strong of a series because it's not really about anything. Like it's it's not even about chess. It's not really about addiction, but she is so so compelling and she is like someone you want to follow. And so, again, that's why I think she's the strongest part of Split. And I'm surprised. I, I kind of hope he works with her again, um, if he actually could write a decent part for her. But um, So you mentioned he can't write adults. I will say I think one of his better qualities is I think he writes kids really, really well. And because, like, I love kids. I've worked with kids for a very long time. I have a really hard time with poorly written kids. Um, but I think, like... Joseph uh, is as a character in Unbreakable. I think is great. Like the way he he is really nice. Yeah, 
He's yeah, so sweet without being cloying. Um, the way, like, I love the dialogue where he's like, well, do you think he would beat Bruce Lee? Like, well, what if you had martial arts training? What if he wasn't allowed to kick? Like, it's... it's <laughs> what if he cute. wasn't allowed to kick? Yeah, that is really nice. It's really cute. Um, obviously, the kids are the best part of the visit. And I actually think the kids are one of the better parts of old. Yeah, I agree. Which is really frustrating because you know what the movie's going to be like. All right, well, goodbye, best part. Hello, kid from Hereditary. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. You're here. To to expose a conversation off mic I had with with your dear friend Steve Sadak as saying, like, I just want Alex Wolf to be happy in one movie. And uh, it was Steve's words. I just want him to do like a boob comedy, like kind of an American pie, kind of like hijinks comedy. (laughs) Just Just to show up. With a smile on his face and the same smile he leaves set with that day. Don't you forget about me, baby. Um, But yeah, so (laughs) I think, and again, that's like this very trite and uh, easy thing of like, he's he's a better director than he is a writer, because I don't think that's true. I think there are things that he succeeds at and fails at with writing, and I think there are things he succeeds at and fails at with directing. I just, I I think that part of, of being... Um, a successful artist is is to to always be excited by the works of others. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that he has to be writing these 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 characters that he knows nothing about. It's okay, mm-hmm. you know. Work with somebody. Have just co-write it with your wife or something. I don't know. Somebody, anybody. I think his wife's like, a doctor. I think, oh, okay. Well, yeah. you know what? It stands. I bet you'll do a fantastic <laughs> <Probably>. job. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, uh, one thing, though, with him as a director, and I, maybe you can see something that I can't. Does he have any sense of signature style? Like, he has certainly signatures of themes, whether or not they're very good. Like, he, you know, deals a lot in the themes of grief and trauma bonding and stuff. I don't think he does those particularly well, but um, like I'm thinking of contemporaries such as like Fincher, like I, a Fincher montage is absolutely a thing or Jordan Peele, who's known for having these like really strikingly framed dynamics, dynamic shots or, you know, like, I don't know. I'm trying to think like, does he do a lot of long takes? Is Like, does M. Night Shyamalan have a style? I don't think he does. No, I think that there's an, I really honestly think that it bears mentioning the the pink walls in that one room in glass that they keep going to. <laughs> and they're just so like, they're like, but in this room, like everybody looks weird. I don't know. I almost felt like he was trying to grab some cinematography buzz around the fact that he had them paint the walls pink. Yeah. And I don't think, I feel like they looked like, the death throes of a of an of an auteur who never really found what they were looking for. Yeah. Um, I think that there are some long takes. I think that I think the long take in the beginning of Split is good. I think the long take in the beginning of of uh, the happening is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the opening of the happening. I mean, I, that's why when I watched it, I was like, and here we go. Like, I like I like the I like that he started it with the Mad Men opening. Yeah. And um. <laughs> um uh i think that when he can just settle down and push that camera real slow um i think that he can he can achieve quite a bit um 
But then when he'd be like, it was like, he's like, but what if we do wacky cutaways? I was like, no, (laughs) not with your sense of humor. Yeah. I also think that um, pacing is a problem for him. Um, Even his better movies, I think, are not the most tightly paced. And like, look, I, I, you know, as a person um, with like, I, so My one thing that allows me to maybe weigh in a little bit on the mental illness discussion is I am a person who has bipolar disorder and it often presents like ADHD. And so I do admittedly, I can be hard on movies that aren't like super, super tight because it doesn't, um, because it doesn't jive with what my neurotype enjoys. But (laughs) even like I'd say the sixth sense, there's some shit you could leave on the cutting room floor in that. Um, There's, it's, it's a little bit, and I, I don't want to use the word drag because like it's a great movie, but he has never been someone who is particularly strong at pacing. And you see that in movies that have weaker premises, weaker characters, um, weaker weaker scripts, such as Glass, uh, such as Lady in the Water. I think Lady in the Water is excruciatingly paced. Hey, but do you know that like that's all on purpose, though? Oh, so it is, it's annoying me on purpose. <laughs> No, it yeah. is. He was like, yeah. it was like, it was like his like deconstruction of the Hollywood formula. Mm-hmm. Barf is yeah. my answer. <laughs> I yes. saw that movie. Yeah. I got tricked into seeing that movie oh, that's the worst. by Chris. Chris was like, it's actually really good. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, I saw it. Come check it out. And so we went and he was like, I'll buy you a ticket. We'll go on it. We'll have a mandate. I was like, all right, Chris, mandate it is. We used to live together in Brooklyn. And we saw it, and I started watching it. I got so angry because it was so bad. And I look over, and he's just laughing hysterically. I was like, I thought this movie was good. He goes, no, it's terrible. Okay, so I know Chris <laughs> is known for being contrarian, but I was like, he didn't seriously think that movie was good, did he? No, no, he just Oh man, he just tricked me into watching it with him. A little piece of shit. Um, also, I mean, I know people <laughs> sound differently on podcasts than they do in person, but I had no idea that Chris Cabin actually sounded like this. Um, oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come on, JJ. That's, that's... that's every time we would go. So like normally, normally I would be working out right now. That's one thing. That's what he said to me one time. It's my favorite thing. It's the favorite way. <laughs> it was my favorite way to open a sentence of all time. I'm like, hey, Chris, what are you doing today, man? He goes, well, normally I'd be working out right now. <laughs> Oh. I go, Chris, well, what happened? Like, what, 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 why is today the day? Instead, he's fucking tricking you into, into yeah. M. Night Shyamalan movies. That was the same. I think it was the same day. He did the same thing with, um, oh, he just, because he, he wrote for, this was like our first sort of foray into being in, living in New York. We lived in New York right out of college together and we didn't, and he was writing for slate slant, something along those lines. And he would, so he would get, he would get free movie passes and we were broke and it was hot. And so, you know, you know, you know how that happens. And uh, so we just ended up going to see a lot of movies together. And uh, one of the other ones was that second pirates of the Caribbean. And I, I just that's an excruciatingly long movie. Movie. Oh, you get a blood clot That's, during that movie. Yeah, multiple. Yes. Um, so uh, with I, I figured now that now that I'm talking about my fucking bipolar ass, I can actually segue into um, something I'm really excited about. Um, my degree, my combined degree in English and cultural studies, never gets to come up on this podcast. I got to wedge in Adorno once in our Radiohead episode, but um, so like I, I'm not one of those people. Like I. 
my stance toward things that are, you know, quote unquote problematic is I will call it and say, yes, this is problematic. This is a problematic portrayal of disability, but it's it might not result in me not seeing the movie. I'm still like, I'm going to see what this is all about. So with with Split, like, um, you know, I think sometimes a heightened portrayal of something, especially incorporating it as a superpower, can be empowering. The bigger issue I have with with Split and the way it um, portrays um, disassociative identity disorder is that it's part of a huge pattern of his. Um, you had the village, like Adrian Brody in the village. That like that feels like it was a 1970s portrayal of a person with an intellectual disability and not something that's less than 20 years old. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Yeah. It reminds me of the way, like, in the old black and white hunchback of Notre Dame, the way they portrayed Quasimodo, that's that's kind of what it, what he's doing. Yeah, that's how I recall it, yeah. You got Split, you got The Visit, and then more recently Old with the character who has schizophrenia. Um, like, it, and because all of them are, well, I mean, I guess not Adrian Brody's character, but all of them are tied with violence, I'm like, you, you know, that doesn't feel great as a person with a stigmatized personality disorder. It doesn't feel great. <laughs> you make a really great point. Yeah. I am. I, I actually have, and I, uh, I'll use my number, my second tangent card. Yeah. This one's important for me. <laughs> this is, I'm going to give my opinion. Nobody has to agree with it or disagree with it, but it's the same reason why I really think that, um, American Beauty is a really troubled movie, and I really grew to dislike it. Just the fact that they were like, that there's, that they tied, exactly like you said, they tied, and admittedly, they, they did a much better job of writing the Chris Cooper character. Yeah. But the, but just the idea that like every um, homosexual who isn't like, allowed to like any closeted i don't like yeah. that word so much but closeted homosexual are just ticking time bombs yeah and are they i don't i don't yeah i don't i don't and i think that he does the same thing like this so the schizophrenia character is um dark world right or wait, wait <laughs> oh gosh um uh, yeah like it's it's the kind of thing where like he's trying to keep it a secret and like i <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was just an asshole. Well, that's <laughs> the thing. Like they don't, they don't appear to communicate it well enough. And no, you know, I I have a little bit of um, obviously not firsthand experience. I do not have schizophrenia. I have um, I have a good friend who whose parent had schizophrenia. Uh, they're no longer with us, but like it's it's the kind of thing. Like I don't want to say you can't exactly hide it because a lot of people with schizophrenia can go on to live normal lives, but it's not like this, like, Ooh, if I'm not watching myself, like it's going to come out and it's going to get you. Like it's so it's, yeah, it's, it's a, not like my love of cheese. Like, like, <laughs> like every once in a while I do bad things yeah. like with a block of cheese, it's, but uh, uh, it's not a boogeyman, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But so from here's where Brie gets heady and academic and everyone wants to punch me in the face. Um, so uh, my 
double major in cultural studies and English literature, and I chose a concentration on Victorian literature, and where they overlap a lot is disability studies. Um, and um, as a person who grew up with a both a physical disability, like I have a muscle disorder and, and, and at the time undiagnosed personality disorder. Um, so the Victorian era was a very interesting, one of the first, um, I guess, kind of revolutionized disability portrayal. Um, because the Victorian era was when science and medicine became professionalized, the view of disability started to change. It went from being depicted in art for humor purposes to sympathy, um, which is better than humor, but certainly um, the portrayal was still somewhat problematic. For one thing, disability became a relatively easy way to other a character in Victorian lit, and so it became used all the time. A lot of portrayals still involve the person with disability, again, losing their agency and autonomy to disabilities. So like uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is a great example of someone literally losing their agency to disability. Uh, it denies them an actual realized future, such as Tiny Tim in A Christmas Care. Uh, Carol. So if you really are interested in this, I would recommend the readings of Martha Stoddard Holmes. Um, she talks about a, a lot um, about how disabled people are portrayed as asexual, vulnerable, unable to perform layer, uh, labor. So with that, I feel like Shyamalan recognizes disability as this really interesting thing, and he sees it as a very intriguing thing. And like, it is as, as a person, you know, who like I you know, works with special needs kids a lot and, you know, has a physical disability. Like, it is interesting. Um, I think, first of all, you need a screenwriting partner who understands that, who has actual firsthand lived experience with it. Um, but it just like, have a disabled person be someone who actually can get shit done, maybe be a hero and not always be someone who becomes vulnerable because of it or loses their autonomy because of it. Yeah, and I th I think there's a lot to say with the James McAvoy casting. That James McAvoy is looking at this project as a challenge, mm -hmm. and it it shows how hard he's working to maintain these characters and to be, and to nail each character with a level of um, authenticity. But really, you're just watching James McAvoy do a bunch of voices. Yeah. like, And that's not James McAvoy's fault. In my opinion, no. that's because it was like, and what if he was also a lady? That's my biggest problem, is it, every time Jack's, James McAvoy becomes a lady, and that's supposed to be hilarious. It is. I don't, I don't think it's... <laughs> it's just like, he's... It's, I'm James McAvoy for a second. Yeah, I like, I... I, I did ask myself, especially with the one character, and I forget the character's name, but when she puts on the little dress and his his um his um mannerisms and stuff, I'm like, how am I supposed to be feeling about this? Because it feels like you want me to laugh at it, but also this character is a deeply sympathetic character. So I I just don't get what he was going for. And it's like you have to know that this is coming across as something I'm I'm gonna laugh at. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're just so right it's... you just hit the nail on the head like oh. when you i think that i don't I, okay i don't think that it's 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 necessarily like somebody like so so, so to make a weird comparison i would kind of go towards um memento like memento had a lot of yeah. really well-earned jokes 
but they were never kind of they were actually usually made by guy pierce Mm -hmm. and like guy pierce the idea that you keep forgetting where you are every every half an hour or something (laughs) you know is like kind of funny um but it it just but he was a character first and a concept second yeah and like this is just concept 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 and like what if he went well but this time wait what's what's funnier than a man being a woman a man being a little kid and being a a kid and then a woman and you just and you could just see like every time he does a little character i just like you know like when they have those like thermometers that they fill up when they're trying to hit a a benchmark for a charity drive yeah right and it's just like getting bigger like that's just james mcavoy's paycheck and every time he does a character he gets another lump sum <laughs> like he's just Treat, he's just doing it Treat, <laughs> yeah 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 uh, um and it, it's never he's never he's never a person i don't think and like you said that's Shyamalan's thing it's just concept no you know um, now I get to pull, I don't have any paper with me, so this is actually a coaster, but I'm pulling out my tangent card, but it's about Memento, yes. um, because I just think the listeners would be delighted about this. I don't talk nearly enough about my cat, my cat Ben. He's awesome. He's my reason for getting up in the morning. He's giant. I love him. He's not that smart. Um, and Ben, uh, ever since we moved to our new home, Ben has uh, grasped the concept of a basement for the first time. Um, now, he is a very regimented cat. He eats every day at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. I can't sleep in because of this cat. And he loves his food. So I get we get up, we feed him at 6 a.m. And when we first moved here, he would eat and then he would run to the basement inexplicably and start meowing really loudly and like finally my husband decides to google why does my cat meow after eating and as it turns out it's because sometimes when cats eat and they're really happy they get so filled with like pleasure particles in their brain like their their pleasure response that they forget how they got somewhere and he's like and so it's basically him meowing like (laughs) how did i get here how did i get here and so i was like doing the dishes the other day and he was you know meowing i'm like oh my god we need to put memento tattoos on our cat like (laughs) i don't feel full (laughs) he just he's he entirely forgot how he got there so my cat is in a christopher nolan movie um a a cat a cat (laughs) trying to find out who killed his poor cat wife (laughs) um i every scene just wrote itself in my head and just like he was like a little pen or something. This black and white movie starring my stupid fucking twelve year old cat. Um, oh yeah, because then you could have you could have that scene at the bar where the guy spits in his beer, but some some other cat like like spits a hairball into his milk. You know, it's just all it's just all right there. It's so easy. Are we more talented than M Night Shyamalan? That's okay. You know what? Let's like let's um let's answer that question. I don't think that I am, but I think that we you and I have a better grasp on what would play in modern cinema than he does. I think we like, could possibly do something that would have a better ROI ratio than After Earth. I think that's like the low bar, but that's something. Um yeah, I think that anybody could though. I don't know, in my opinion. By the way, speaking of After think- Earth, you know, I said this about stop making, stop trying to make Paul Giamatti the leading man happen. This was, After Earth was so the era when we were trying to make Jaden Smith happen. He was going to be, he was going to be our everything. Oh. Yeah. 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 He was. Yeah. Um, 
I I feel I feel like that kid kind of got a rough deal. He really got put through the ringer. They really were trying to squeeze money out of him left, right, and center, which I feel bad. I, I do feel bad about it. I feel bad about that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I didn't do it. <laughs> I don't know why I should feel bad. You don't have to feel bad about famous people. You never have to feel bad. About rap, Jason. Rap. Um, but yeah. So one of the things I, I did again. It's hard. I never want to feel like I'm trying to reinvent M. Night Shyamalan as this amazing director. I do think sometimes the criticism of him is a little weird. Like I found this review of The Village from from Slate, from Michael Agar, that he had a pattern of making movies that, quote, fell apart when exposed to outside logic. At that point, is that actually fair to say that that was a pattern? Because like you got signs, which like is a universe where extraterrestrials are real and an imminent attack is like real and you have unbreakable which is like superheroes are real so like this is it feels very much like that doesn't hold up to logic yeah i think that i think that you you're definitely onto something i don't think that it does great in the light of day i mean you know i mean aliens invading a planet the 60 70 percent of of which is poisonous to them yeah (laughs) you know but um but what it is is definitely way too early and way too like um like i just feel like that writer was just like wait a minute like he's got a whole m night mm-hmm. board in his basement and he's like connecting the dots and he's like if i <laughs> if i cobble together these six facts i could have it i can i could have a thought yeah. you know like yeah but 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 six cents works yeah. I, I i don't remember having any problem with that yeah, yeah like oh like I don't know. I feel like to say, well, Sixth Sense logic doesn't hold up. You you have to pretend that that movie exists in a universe like where you know. Well, we can we can believe that ghosts are real and walking among us, but we can't believe this. Like I don't know. But I think right, maybe right. you know you talk about trying to piece together like a criticism of Shyamalan, and one of the things that I found really hard, even as I've been kind of doing this little retrospective, is. I don't think he has that many things that you that are consistently bad. It's like, oh, this, this is the meanest thing I could say. Every movie that is bad, he finds a new way to be bad. That's true. <laughs> you can never look at him and say, like, this is his problem. Because there's a bunch of problems. And like even saying, like, oh, well, he can direct, but he can't write. He's had some moments where he's been a good writer. So it's like he is incapable of being good at everything all at once. But like you, it's almost frustrating that you can't just say, you know what, this is his problem. If he just fixed this, he would be a good director. Right. I think that <sighs> I've never had much of a problem with the way that he, even his pacing, even I always, th- I always thought that um, signs was really well paced. Signs is classically paced. Well, mm-hmm. I think as I remember, it has been quite a while. Um, yeah, I mean, he always, and truth be told, that's probably why I keep watching his movies because it's sort of like, what is he going to make? That's what, what's going to be ridiculous this time. Yeah. And every movie, um, he, he has, he's, he's like this antithesis of, I'm not a, I'm not a giant Quentin Tarantino fan, mm-hmm. but like every single one of his movies has given me a moment of like, well, did not know I was ever going to see that. <laughs> and I think that, 
you know and i think that he does bring you to like everybody says like i'm not i'm not i'm not saying anything here but he brings you to uncomfortable places and places you didn't know you were gonna go right sure um i think that m night does the same thing but you're like well that's what i i I know that i've said it over and over again but i just couldn't get over like the sweepstakes bit and to find out that they are you know uh they say at the end that this they're the 76th experiment or something Mm -hmm. That seventy, you know, that hundreds and hundreds of families, thousands of families, and thousands of people have been looking at a newspaper. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think that that in itself is actually really interesting, right? Like, like again, like I hate to, I hate to write the guy's movie for him, but the idea that like so many people are so desperate to be able to live outside their means that that's how they prey on people. Yep, that's kind of cool. That would be right. Like, he doesn't. He, I mean. When directors and writers try to do the whole, you know, social commentary thing, it it's usually worse than it is better. Like it's, um, but he's never really tried to say that much about society, which usually is a great way to ensure that I'm going to have a good time. But um, yeah, right. like there's there's not a lot. He's not a message guy. Um, you know, who's to say how well he'd do at it? Um, you know, you mentioning everyone reading the newspaper is just making me think again. The the whole being new to home ownership and being new to a small town, um, we get we don't we get a weekly print paper. Um, and my husband also just started wearing glasses for the first fucking time in his life. He's made it you know forty some years without having to get fucking glasses. And every Friday, he picks up the paper off the front and sits down and puts on his glasses to read it with his coffee. And it's the most adorable little thing I have ever seen. <laughs> but I'm like I'm I'm living in a bygone era. My God. Um, so the one thing does like, he ever fold? Does he ever fold it in half when he has to say something? Um, yeah. Oh, that's how he holds it, kind of, and he oh, like, nice, nice adjusts the glasses. Um, that's what you want. Yep. Yeah. Um, feeding the cat. With this one is a hand. What, this is a husband. I should get these. I'm gonna write this down. A husband. Yeah. It's... I should, I, I'm liking. I'm liking what you're putting down there. That's an H U. <laughs> I might grab myself because I, I I like I like watching people read as well. So. Yes. Um, a and He's. Um, so I think I am obviously more of an old apologist than you. For me, it's not the sweepstakes thing, but like my equivalent of the sweepstakes line is how they, how they find their way out at the end that this little kid just happened to give him this secret message thing. Like that feels so like M Knight could not think of a way to end this. And so he's like, I should, I should write in this little kid who's going to give them a message. Cause like, I really don't like when I see the writings on the wall at the beginning of the movie. And in the first five minutes, this kid's like, look at the secret alphabet I made. I'm like, well, that's coming back. Like, oof. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And they even, um, yeah. And it's coral. You see, magic rocks. I don't know why. I mean, you've seen the film, but I'll, I'll, I'll take off my, I'll take off my uh, podcaster hat. I'll put on my professor hat. <laughs> see, magic rocks are stopped by coral according to the film right that's what i <laughs> oh i wish i wish people could see your face um <laughs> that's yeah it's a disaster it's, um it's a little kid it's a sh- it's a shady little kid disaster yeah because like if you if the kid is going to be shady and sell out his uncle or whatever why does he need to give them a little secret message it's like just attempting to add this like f- you know, mischievous little mythology into it. I don't know. My last question before I get into the lightning round, though. Um, have you seen Servant? 
the Apple. No. Oh, it's actually really good. It's on mm-hmm. Apple TV Plus, which I didn't know we had a subscription to because I think like if you got a new Apple device, you get a free year of it or whatever. And my husband always has to get new Apple stuff for work. So he's just like, hey, we've got a free Apple TV subscription out of it. Um, I don't know if any Apple TV um, shows get talked about really besides that awful uh, morning show show and then Ted Lasso, which I love Ted Lasso. Um, Servant is really good. Um, I think it might be, I've only seen the first season. The one thing about it, because it deals with child death and supernatural stuff as well, it's a little too upsetting for people to want to go back to week after week. Um, Apple TV is smart. They, unlike Netflix, they don't do the seasonal dump one at a time, um, or they don't do the seasonal dump at once. They release it week after week, which does make you want to come back. It gives you some time to breathe between episodes. Um, he's the executive producer. I think he's the showrunner on it, um, which is great because he has great ideas um, that don't always weave together very well. And so when you get him managing a room of other writers, um, it actually That's makes me saying. wish he did TV more. There is, it's almost like, like, buddy, like you have, and I say this too, like, I don't have as much talent as that guy. Like, there's this this thing I remember when when The Office ended, and I remember talking to somebody, I'm like, do you think, what, what kind of show do you think Corral is going to do? And somebody was like, he can't do another show, he's got to do movies now. And I was like, what are you, like, like, what? but he was right. Like, there is this idea that, like, being a showrunner or being a head writer or even just being a contributing writer is less than... But it's not. No, no, no. If you are a good showrunner, run shows, yep. and I'm gonna love you more than if you make if you if you insist on writing characters that you don't know how to do, mm-hmm. you don't know how to write. It's kind of like um, I think Mike Scully is uh, one of the like one of my favorite TV writers of all time. I hate his showrun seasons. I hate um, the season. I mean he's largely regarded as the showrunner that mate started the Simpsons downward spiral, but I love individual episodes of things like the Simpsons or parks and rec that he's written. Um, you know, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, the reverse I think is true about Shyamalan. One thing about servant that I think is borderline hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. again, I'm not a parent. Um, so I, uh, may- maybe not as sensitive to this. I'm about to reveal something about myself that I don't even think my husband knows just because I forget about this a lot. There's a crucial plot point in Servant about a child being left in a hot car. And the outcome is, as you can imagine, tragic. I forget about this a lot. I was left in a hot car as a baby um, by my dad. <laughs> and so this is oh, me yeah. officially calling out Mark. Um, now, it was more of like a 15-minute situation. But my dad literally just forgot that I existed for that amount of time while he was like at the beach with my par- my mom and my siblings. Um, and uh, because this turns out Ooh, to be beach like... Leave. Yeah, I was at my grandparents' cottage. Now, for the record, in Ontario, you know, beaches don't get that hot, and all our beaches are, you know, just rocks and maple trees. But um, it's, yeah, uh, now we have so much more awareness about, like, do not fucking leave your kid in a car on a hot summer's day, and, like, it, it makes you the worst person in the world. I'm like, man, my dad was really casual about leaving me in that car in 1989. I remember that I was one time a judge... Um, on this short film competition and they showed like 12 short films 
and this woman and everybody would come up and introduce theirs and this woman came up and she was like and this movie was actually was paid for by the fire department um that's sort of neither here nor there now that i mentioned it but anyway (laughs) and she was like i just hope you like my film and um i hope you're not too horrified by the ending and it just it's just like it's like a camera pans up and there's a baby in a car oh no and she's like oh hi janice i haven't seen you in years and then it's like and i just remember being like how do i not oh the baby i just get like how long is this movie because it started with the baby being left in the car it was it was it was an excruciating moment um my my kid is so freaking loud. <laughs> she's she's smart enough. Nobody leaves her anywhere. Yeah, I I mean I just my mom said I just spent the entire time unraveling a tape cassette. So like, you know that's you oh, got that sounds fun. You got a future little punk on your hands now. Um, so yeah. we have come to my favorite part of the show. We got the lightning round. Uh, ten questions right. at I want to say rapid fire pace, but it always it always results in a tangent. Uh, so Justin. Of all of M. Night Shyamalan's movies, which ending of his do you actually think is the best ending? Um, definitely Unbreakable. Yeah. I just love, love, love the... Um, it, it, it's maniacal, but it's also scary, and it's atmospheric, and it's well-directed and well-acted. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the ending of Unbreakable just rules. Same with me. Um, Jackson's acting his ass off. I... Um, I almost said Sixth Sense because, like I said, that ending affected me so much as even a 10-year-old. Um, but I do think, you know, you could say it's a little schmaltzy. Okay. Um, who is an actor he's worked with that you'd like to see him work with again? Mark Wahlberg. I, uh, that, sounds like, that sounds like a silly pick, but um, a, a – like – yeah, I just, I just, it's a genuine heartfelt pick. I would love to let him, like Mark Wahlberg, <laughs> Mark Wahlberg playing Split, like, like whatever that guy's <laughs> name is, would just be incredible. I don't know. I think that when, every once in a while, people let Mark Wahlberg off his chain, and it rules. <laughs> and I really think that it would be really, it would be an exciting, exciting, uh, 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 time together. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, so I'm not a fan of Mark Wahlberg, but it's really hard for me to sell, to separate my feelings about Mark Wahlberg, the person, uh, from Mark Wahlberg, the actor. Um, my kind of honorable mention is Catherine Hahn, just because I love Catherine Hahn, um, but she didn't have the biggest role in The Visit. Um, I, I was gonna say, um, Joaquin Phoenix. Um, I think in everything he's done with M. Night, has been very good. Um, also, he worked with, I think, the most underrated Culkin. He worked with Rory Culkin in Signs. I think Rory Culkin has kind of been like the forgotten one of that family. Because, like, you know, you have Kieran uh, getting really big on um, Succession and everyone knows Macaulay. Rory's a very good actor. I would love to see him do something with adult Rory Culkin. Um, Rory Culkin. Yeah, um, if you've ever, I would look up the movie Mean Creek from 2004. I feel like no one fucking saw that movie, but it is an extremely good movie. Again, lots of child death, it, it, apparently, in the movies that I like. Um, it does deal with child death, um, but it's also got um, Scotty from Eurotrip. It's the only other place I've seen the guy who plays Scotty in Eurotrip. Um, but it's it's a fantastic little other movie. Other than a grocery store. <laughs> 
tier. Um, okay, so M. Night is notoriously criticized for being a bad writer. Um, what do you think is actually his best written film? I think I have to just say Unbreakable again. I yeah. don't I don't want to be a broken record, mm-hmm. uh, an Unbreakable record. But uh, yeah, I think that, that that just is it. I think that um, the way that he he equates you with the characters is just was was actually really well written. Um, Dialogue wise only, mm-hmm. I'd say maybe signs. I remember there being lots of really good very like still wholesome mm-hmm. but still i still consider it good writing uh from signs um but in general i think i gotta go unbreakable again yeah i i had signs for my answer um i think the dialogue is very very strong i think it moves it very well and you know for all my complaints about his pacing i think the dialogue in signs is what helps it keep uh flowing and I'm not going to lie, as much as he's a terrible fucking person, if I never saw him in a movie again, I'd be happy. But like Mel Gibson is really strong and really compelling in signs. Um, and I think um, Shyamalan wrote for him very well. Um, so if there's one of his shitty endings you could change to improve the movie, what would it be? And how might you change it? Oh, oh, that's so much fun. Um... I think there could have been a lot more done with, yeah, I think with uh, the village, Mm -hmm. I think that I wouldn't, as stupid as it is, but if you even kept it, like if they were just, if they were just, um, I would have just changed it that they weren't in present day, but they were just still in this, like, this sequestered village that the village was actually of its time Mm -hmm. but it but but there was like a high a high council that was like coordinating all the moves that happened in the village that would have been pretty funny or not funny but uh i don't know why it's funny clever yeah clever and you know believable Mm -hmm. so if we're gonna equate ending as being like third act i would say maybe changing the third act would actually save glass a little bit um but Inter- wouldn't know <laughs> he just could Sorry. not make it um i couldn't do it uh but i would have said either um i would say either the village or the happening the one thing with the happening is i find it just loses steam and like you said if everything about the happening could have been as shocking and um just have the balls of the beginning of it i think it would be great um and just the like it's over, or is it, of the happening doesn't work for me. Um, I kind of just, like, I was screaming out, write a fucking ending. Right. There is an incredible way of, like, actually, now that you mention it, I'm not my, I think, like, my creative juices just got peaked a bit, because it's really cool, like, this idea that they, like, if the happening ended up that they were like, oh, no, now we're in this padded room with no sharp objects, and we're both naked, and and my fingers don't work and they just they wanted to die but they had no way of dying or killing themselves like very twilight like, zone and they just had yeah 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 like twilight zone endings yeah um for that movie that, that that'd be kind of funny i keep saying funny i don't know why everything's a little bit funny um who is it's all kind of funny who is a screenwriter you'd like to see him paired with oh um okay that's such a good question um Paul Schrader. <laughs> it's to quote Homer, uh, Homer Simpson, explain. <laughs> just um, 
just somebody that just like knows how to write a world. Yeah. And I think that he could probably capture it really well. That's sort of a fun pick for me. I think that, um, you know, what actually would be a really a, a, a good him and um, Kelly, uh, Donnie Darko. I forgot his first name. Richard Kelly. And Southland Tales, the best movie of all time. I I never meet people who like Southland Tales. That's a delight. Oh, we're all, well, we, we, listen, I'm turning 40 in just a couple of months, and mm-hmm. I know what I'm doing on my birthday. <laughs> that is great. Um, so I have two picks, um, and it involves kind of different types of movies I'd like to see. Um, David Kep, uh, who has written mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, action movies. He wrote, you know, some of the Raimi Spider-Mans. Um, because I would like to see M. Night Shyamalan get into, like, franchise town a little bit. Like, no, learning that he had been uh, eyeballed as one of the people to direct one of the first Harry Potter movies, I think, was really interesting to me because I think he could have done an okay job. Again, I think he's great with kids stuff. Um, it sucks that the one kind of franchisey thing he got into was that awful Last Airbender movie. Um, but if he were with someone who actually understood how to, like, have that joyful, if not slightly cheesy thing going on. I think David Cap would be really good. Um, also, you know, you talk about people who are good at world building. If we want to get more into the the darker territory, I think Denis Villeneuve, um, who is, oh yeah, you know, he tends to direct everything that he writes. Um, but and he's a, Villeneuve is one of those guys, kind of like Jordan Peele to me. Like you know, he is equally as good a director as he is a writer. But it would be cool to see him just write. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think he is extremely good at writing very fleshed out characters um, without needing all this very artificial feeling exposition and stuff. So I would if I think if Shyamalan paired with Villeneuve, he could do something that is actually effectively dark and suspenseful and again, tense, which he lacks a lot of. Well, yeah, I think that he would be like sort of they would each be each other's sort of spackle mm-hmm. just, you know, like they could each, you know, fill each other's holes. That's what my mind said. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, OK, so I mentioned that I like him in TV. Which one of his movie premises do you think would work best as a TV show? Um, <laughs> I think that, no. Uh, Definitely Split. I think, well, yeah, I think Split would work as sort of a, it would actually be sort of a perfect, um, uh, the fugitive, like every week he's he's chasing, every week he's got to find the new killer, but here's the (laughs) twist, it's the same person. And so it's like every week he's playing a different character. Um, That would be... I don't hate it. I don't hate that. That sounds idea. kind of fun and X Filesy. I also went for a very X Filesy thing, which is I think if now we have to go into a universe where the Sixth Sense doesn't exist as a really amazing movie, I think Malcolm Crow, Dead Psychiatrist, is like a oh, really yeah. fun concept for a TV show of like, and it's him trying to like resolve the things and like right the wrongs of like his the life that he led. Um, you know, from beyond the grave, um, working with these, you know, problem problem children or whatever. You kind of have, you kind of, you kind of have like a, 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 like a, a quantum leap thing going there. 
Uh, so, well, I've actually never seen um, an episode of Quantum Leap. However, um, I did know that Scott Bakula was in it. And so, and I mentioned that someone at our old office looked like Scott Bakula from Quantum Leap. And that at the time I was not dating my husband, but like we worked together and he, his ears like perked up at like, Ooh, this girl knows Quantum Leap. And I'm like, Oh fuck. Now I got to pretend I know about Quantum yeah. Leap. Yeah. 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 Listen, listen, this, we, we I think, yeah, we, we love Quantum Leap. Oh. We just do. I, I'm McQuantum sure it's generation. good. I'm sure it's good. I love Scott Bakula, so um, it doesn't hold up whatsoever, mm-hmm. but it's it's still fun. All right, so which of the I kind of call like the disaster trio, which is the worst of the bottom of the barrel disaster trio? Lady in the Water, The Happening, or After Earth? Lady in the Water. Yeah. Lady in the Water is just an, an um, it is it is it's it's. It, it, it thinks that it's smart. Yeah. And I don't think that even movies that are smart shouldn't think that they're smart. Yes. Right. And so I and it and it's not. So it is it is the most egregious of, of those three films in my opinion. I agree. Um I, I will link to this in the show description, but a uh, friend of the show, Frederick Blickard, whom you remember from the Scream episode, he uh had this article on Android Authority ranking all fourteen M. Night Shyamalan movies, and he had After Earth as the worst. I think that's a like that's not an incorrect movie, or that's not an incorrect opinion to have. But for some reason, I just find Lady in the Water way less enjoyable. Like, After Earth, I can at least say, like, well, he he tried to, like, he, that was stupid. I could turn my brain off. Oh, I sure ate all my popcorn on that. Like, um, mm-hmm. Lady in the Water, I would describe as excruciating. It's excruciating. It's it, Lady in the Water and Glass are the two, the only two that I would just describe as excruciating. Yep. Now, that doesn't mean that all the rest of them, just because they don't get that particular moniker or that, that particular um, rating, doesn't make them good. No. But those two movies were not fit for the screen. Yes. Okay, so what do you think is the worst, uh, worst acting performance in a Shyamalan movie? Okay, don't hate me. Mm-hmm. but i think it's zoe yeah i think that everybody else really shows up i think that she has some really i don't know how to say her last name i call her zoe bechamel so i don't know what her name is, but, <laughs> that's a good um, i think it's just Deschanel, but yeah um i really do i think that um she, she the thing is this um in my experience with his movies there are moments that an actor can br- is such a good actor that they bring something that was nowhere near this the page mm-hmm. and it overcompensates and i don't think that she's bad she just didn't she just couldn't bring anything to it he gave her nothing mm-hmm. to work with i don't nothing. think she's the most naturally charismatic actor um like i i kind of like the new girl um but i feel like i don't want to say that's all she can do but that's the only thing i've ever really been like compelled to her in. i do not think she is a movie star and i don't like especially because i do think Wahlberg is probably uh, like he's not bad in that movie again like i hate mark Wahlberg the person he is very good at playing frantic and um so I think he's he is. Yeah. yeah, I agree. So yeah. despite being the resident old apologist, I actually think one of the most laughably bad performances I've seen in my life is Gail Garcia Bernal in old. Um, there was the line where he, at the end where he's talking about, you know, his wife's lover and he's like, he's a joke. He's a pretend person. I'm like, you sound like Tommy Wiseau. 
Oh my god, you sound like Tommy Wiseau. Like he's trying so hard in that movie, and he's just listen. I'll, I'll watch that guy eat a pint of ice cream if you know what I mean. Like he he he, he he's he's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, and he's and not I a bad think actor. that they're. No, 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 no. There's actually that in old. The one, the one thing about I have to say about old is that there's that moment when like he's losing his sight and she's losing her hearing, and they just sit next to each other and kind of whisper and kind of like fade together, which is actually quite nice. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 I remember talking about this with a few different people. But I'm like, but that's not M Night. M Night didn't do that. Yeah. Those actors did that. Yeah. Like they brought that moment to the screen. Mm-hmm. He did not. Yeah. Okay, um, I think I know your answer to this, but which is the better Willis starring movie, Sixth Sense or Unbreakable? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, know, you know the answer to that one. I, I yeah. genuinely like go back and forth between the two. Um, and what I will say, though, is that um, Unbreakable, I don't want to say it's not, it's not only good because of Bruce Willis. Like that movie does not work with anyone besides Sam Jackson in the Mr. Glass role mm-hmm. or uh, in the Elijah role. Um, whereas um, The Sixth Sense, everyone kind of disappears, uh, if not for Willis. I love I love that Michael Sarah could have been the Haley Joel Osment character. Was his name supposed to be Cole? Because um, I'm just imagining like kind of the Michael Sarah that we know from like Super Hi, like, uh, like see dead people. Like Oh, les cousins. Um, but yeah, so I do think Unbreakable is the better movie, but I will say that Unbreakable is also good because of the Willis Jackson dynamic. Um, so yes. The Sixth Sense was more like my, oh my God, Bruce Willis is still very much a movie star. Um, I don't know if the 90s had been a particularly bad time for Bruce Willis. Like, I mean, you're coming off the success of Die Hard, but to me, I think The Sixth Sense was the like, oh my God, he can be like a serious actor. And then he proceeded to still make really bad choices. Um, all right. So if any of his other movies could have had a stealth sequel, what would it be? Uh, um, um, if there was some sort of like cutoff for the happening, they were like, like if there was some sort of like everybody is killing themselves unless you have a credit score below 50. <laughs> Like and they just and then the world is just run with fiscally irresponsible. <laughs> it's just and then and then they're just like burning paper. They're just like burning money to keep warm. Oh, I'm gonna <laughs> like if this is like the only way in which I will outlive my husband. Um, <laughs> uh, exposing myself. No, um, I also said the happening mainly because it would be fun to like have something that like oh this secretly exists in the happening universe after everyone has offed themselves like. Yeah, or even Tales of the Happening. I would actually, that's how much I think that premise, and it makes me seem like a really dark person, and it just is true. Yeah. But just like, if they mind that world, like, just imagine they'd be like, oh, Chuck, like, like, do you take Barbara to be your lovely wedded wife? Like, Barbara, the bouquet, she's killing herself with the bouquet. <laughs> I don't know. There's just so many funny situations. Oh, man. I love this. So now with that, we've barreled toward the conclusion of Peak Show. Um, Oh, man. I think our answers are going to be so different from this. So, Justin, when do you think M. Night as a director peaked for you? It wasn't wasn't necessarily 
uh, I think the answer is actually the sixth sense, mm -hmm. but the truth is, is that the sixth sense came out in a time when the sixth sense made a million dollars when nothing without lots and lots of explosions. That's actually what, to be honest, what this whole conversation has been. Like, I just keep thinking about like, Hey, remember when movies, when, when just movies made money, like <laughs> instead of just Marvel movies make money yeah. now, you know? And I think that once I found out that Bruce Willis, I'm sorry, that Sixth Sense made that much money, it was sort of like an inspiring moment of like, mm -hmm. because that movie was cheap. That movie wasn't special effects. Mm -hmm. That movie was nothing. Um, but it made so much money. It sort of gave hope to a little like budding writer, Justin, that like a good idea can still kind of survive and still kind of triumph. Yeah. So I actually would go all the way back to Sixth Sense for that. That is very sweet, actually. And and I agree, like, The Sixth Sense is a very sweet story and actually um, shows, like, that he does have the sensitivity as a, as a writer. And one of the things I've seen, like, from watching interviews with him and seeing the times when he will, like, um, actually, like, talk to fans or play himself in TV shows or whatever, he seems like a really like a soft-hearted kind of guy. And so he, he does sure, seem very sure. much like a a guy you want to root for. And so for me, I see it. It's like he had this very early peak as this like very young wonderkind and then lost his way. But for me, I keep coming back to the visit because I feel like the visit was kind of when he realized like his current form, which is I can do over the top borderline campy stuff. And with the right cast um, and especially again, working with, young people um is i think a good niche for him to have um yeah i just think he um i think that's kind of the peak of m night in his current form which is like embracing a little bit of what makes him shitty um and kind of like finding his way because all of his things since then except i except for glass like there's there's a little bit of good i mean even glass you like you said like the beginning sequence of glass is really good and like so there's there's little seeds of good movies in there and you just i still hold this hope that he's going to just pair with the right screenwriter or write a script and pair it with the right director that he is going to do something really good i do not think he will ever do anything as prestige as the sixth sense again but i just feel this like he became his current form with the visit. Mm -hmm. I think he's still got a good movie in him. I actually wouldn't say that he's that. Well, I'm never going to watch a good M night <laughs> M night movie. Yeah, I just think it's going to be a while, and he's got a lot of growing up to do. Yeah, and and he is still young. He is, I think, just fifty. So, like, I mean, oh, yeah, I like yeah, really. He's got fifty. Not he's got some time left. Not that much older than me when you think about it. Like, I. It's a blink of an eye, I tell you. God damn. <laughs> um, so if you were to recommend just three M. Night movies to a friend, um, what would they be? Um, okay, that's it's cool. So I, I would say I would go, I would try to kind of like encapsulate his career and, and sort of show his trajectory. So I would go, I would skip Sixth Sense because it's just, it's just so overly, everybody knows the mm -hmm. ending at this point. It was... It was a, a surprise to me, so that was enjoyable. But I would go Unbreakable. I would go The Happening. And I would go... I know this sounds like a cop-out, but like I almost like the movie... To, the real answer is that like the movie he hasn't made yet. But like like I feel like to show like, you know, he's he's got something else at him that I think um 
maybe airbender just just like because airbender is incredible because it's just got such great ip and it's got good people in it and um it's just i just didn't know a blockbuster like that i just didn't know a movie with that kind of budget could be that bad i just didn't know that you so many people would agree with things that happened it's kind of like me on last week's episode saying that i actually do think to understand mike myers you need to see the love guru because you need to see like what happens not only when a person is their worst but like when they're their worst because they were given free reign to do whatever the hell they wanted yeah um and so for that reason like i would say Lady in the Water is essential viewing, as excruciating as it is, because that is kind of the perfect like buffet of everything in front of you that you need to see, like a movie that doesn't work, which includes the perfectly fine Paul Giamatti as a leading man. Why, why, why? Um, I I would say The Sixth Sense is essential watching, um, or interchangeably with Unbreakable. You know, I changed my answer. Unbreakable, um, because I think it's just an entertaining fucking ride. And then yeah, it's just it's just a good thing to watch. And then I will say, watch the first season of Servant. It's um, if you are one of the twelve people with an Apple TV Plus subscription, um, I think Servant is really really good. Do not watch it all all at once. It's really upsetting and really dark. Uh, but yeah, if you again, if you're one of the like five people that watched the Hulu show The Path, I feel like you will. That's kind of the vibe. <gasps> Okay, so I we don't get Hulu in Canada. Um, I got the path because with my old job uh, reporting on streaming, I got the whole uh, first and second season sent to me as like part of screeners. Um, so I was like, yay, I, I want to see Aaron Paul again. I want to see Hugh Dancy again. Um, so that's kind of a similar vibe, maybe a little bit darker, but that whole like there is no, there are no happy parts of these episodes um and so right. that's okay and that's okay so servant that's a, that's a vibe servant is a that's really a good example though of like how when he's got the right team m night is really good mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. all right so that about does it for this episode of peak show uh i want to thank justin for joining me on the pod and talking m night with me uh you know justin uh if there's anything any anywhere you want people to come find and follow you uh projects or even say any causes or mutual aid things you want people to support right now give them a shout right here oh okay um yeah I, i'd say do your best to uh murder she quote on on twitter um and I hate just to plug myself, but I know that what I'm trying to do is trying to, I'm going to be on, this is actually, this is my virtual podcast tour. I'm doing four, five podcasts this month, five different podcasts this month. Um, and so I don't know when those are airing. I know what they are, but I don't know when they're airing and I want to keep everybody up to date. And I want to try to just, you know, amplify strong voices out there. So if you can see me, if you see me on Twitter, give me a follow, I'll follow you right back and um, I'll keep everybody updated. So everybody can see the the content that's, that's getting made. Yeah. I, I think we could all use more Justin J case in our lives. So I'm, I'm, I say, give this man a follow. As for me, I've been your host, Bree Rohde, and uh, super jazzed again to be back for another season. Again, episodes come out every two weeks, and we're coming at you with so much more great content this season. We've got episodes coming up on Taylor Swift, David Fincher, The Babysitter's Club. We've got uh, episodes coming up on Jimmy Stewart. We no longer have an episode coming up on Stranger Things because I thought it was going to end this season, and I just found out it's not. 
that sucks. You can also look through our back catalog for episodes on Judd Apatow, The Office, Radiohead, a whole month's worth of episodes on The Simpsons, and more. You can follow me on Twitter at Breganism, which is like veganism with a B-R-E-E. And you can follow this podcast, Peak Show, at Peak Show Pod on Twitter. Don't forget to rate and review us on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Give us five stars or go to hell. Uh, special thanks to Jared Daly for our show logo and all its art. And thanks to Jack Dump for writing the theme music. And thank you for listening. I've been Bree Rody. What a twist. Yeah, the doctor. Yeah, from dark, from oh. dark, from dark. Yeah, sorry. Dark, I thought you... yeah. dark, dark. Dark, dark. What is that movie? Dark, dark. <laughs> dark, dark. <laughs>